0: Welcome everyone, welcome to Dangerous Thoughts here on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren. today is, I don't know, 27th? 27th, welcome everyone in chat here. Welcome chat. Uh, Sorry, I started a minute late. Someone was asking if Klaus Schwab actually wore that outfit. He did, I think it's a ceremonial garb for uh, some university where he got an honorary degree or something. Anyway, Dangerous Thoughts. It's a series um, that we do here on Wednesday evenings, most Wednesday evenings, and um, the goal really is to to defend and re-energize the enlightenment values of reason, individualist ethics, individual sovereignty from a political perspective, perhaps individual responsibility from a psychological perspective, less ivory tower philosophy, more street philosophy, stuff you should have learned in junior high school, but... Hey, the government was in charge of your education, so you didn't learn that kind of thing, like collectivism is evil and the public good is just to get out of jail free card for tyrants. Anyway, you can learn it here. We can have discussions. Uh, yeah, today's show, we're going to focus on the allure, the mystique of Klaus Schwab and other lizard people. Uh, but he's a good representative of the lizard class. And, um, maybe we'll talk about cars at the end, not unrelated, uh, not formula one, but other cars perhaps, um, before we start, please take a chance, take a moment, take a moment here to like subscribe, uh, if you're feeling gutsy, maybe even share the content, send it to grandma, maybe not grandma, send the content to other dorks like you, uh, and like me. Uh, it does help. YouTube has been aggressively suppressing our content lately. So, you know, got to do something. Um, these discussions, you know, I think we have a lot of interesting discussions on this show. Uh, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. A lot of them are inspired by you guys. Sometimes you correct me in chat. Sometimes we have interesting people on like, uh, you know, Stephen Hicks who was on a few weeks ago, but none of these discussions do really much good or at least limited good. If they don't get out there, and other people don't hear them. So go strap on your metaverse goggles and share it with your favorite anonymous avatar. Or post it on your Tinder profile. If the ladies run away, then they're not your type anyway, guys. So give it a shot. That's my dating advice for you. Um, before we get wait, before we get into the tyranny of lizard people, uh, did you guys notice? Let's see if I can. I'll put this up here. Did you guys know? Uh, apparently we're not streaming to rumble. There's some kind sort of issue. Who cares? Okay. Sorry, rumble. It's not that I don't care, but I don't care. Uh, anyway, did you guys notice? <laughs> <sighs> there is this, oh man, the page reloaded on me. Damn it. Anyway, there's this fact check section that's been added to <laughs> Google news. They upgraded Google News upgraded. It's a propaganda section that they added, and I had the stuff for the four news stories that were in my thing, but I guess it refreshed for some reason, and now they're different. So uh, I guess a couple of them are similar, but the four that they had, you know, just one of them was debunked. See, this is, you know, let's just imagine this is how this went. This was, uh, they're sitting around, and here's the exec meeting, right? because usually they limit it. You know, they limit themselves to manipulating you by setting the agenda, like choosing what stories to promote and whatnot, or biasing search results or censoring dissent. But you can imagine there's like a there's an exec meeting. They're sitting around, and they're like, "Oh, it's not working. There's too many people who still like this stupid freedom thing, and they're not going along with the bug eating, and this is a problem." Uh, so they're getting desperate, and someone's like, "Hey, how about we just put a propaganda section right on." the front page of Google news. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're Google. We're a trusted name. People trust everything we do. They trust us. Let's just put a section called propaganda. And someone was like, no, no, we should call it fact check. That will trick them. Oh yeah. That's brilliant. Bob fact check. We'll call it fact check. Anyway, the four stories that were here before that are not these I'll just one of them was debunking this, which was a joke. Some guy <laughs> shared as a joke this statement, you know, a fake statement by Donald Trump. I'll just read the beginning. Joe Biden, who many have said is our worst president, has come down with the case of the China virus despite being vaccinated. I hope Sleepy Joe is able to bounce back quickly, much as I was. Doctors described my fight against China virus as Herculean and not meaning the woke Disney Hercules, but rather the Kevin Sorbo one, the Lou Ferrigno one as well. It's obviously a joke. But that was one of the, I don't see it here anymore, but that was one of the fact check ones that was in my previous feed. Um, the other one I think might still be here. Uh, Jill Biden did not make stunning admission. This is, this one's still, this is an old story. So but what we're talking about is this, this dude, uh, it's just a title. It's just a clickbaity title. Jill Biden makes stunning admission. We're not going to watch it, but down here later in the video, He talks about Jill Biden. He doesn't say anything untrue at all. He didn't say anything wrong. He just, like, it's just the headline doesn't, it's more sensational than what he actually says. So they want to make sure they fact check that one on us. Um, The next one that they fact check, you know, just going through my four stories here, my propaganda section. I'm sorry, this is taking a second to roll. Oh, here, uh, U.S. cardiologist falsely promotes COVID-19 vaccine recall. Basically, there's this video. uh, Let's see if I have the video here. Man, I step away and everything reloads. Here's this guy. uh, And he is, he's talking about, he he says that there's an entity that has called for the recall of vaccines. He says there's an international entity. And therefore, because there's an international body that has called for this, we should be investigating it. That's his point. And a couple times he says the vaccines who can recall, but he it, it's clear that in context, he means someone has, has, has suggested they get recalled. He's not claiming that Pfizer recalled the vaccines. That's ridiculous. So, and he, you know, he's testifying here uh, in front of, I forget, maybe it's in Texas somewhere. Anyway, they, they had to debunk that, but actually, you know, he's right. This is the, the organization he's talking about the world council for health. They do call for this. Now you could say, They suck and they're horrible and they're not, you know, in the mainstream agenda and he's a kook. You could say all that, but, uh, you know, fact checking that is just makes no sense. He did actually say that and what he said was true. You just don't like it. Uh, And the other story they had was this one. (laughs) This is one of my favorite ones. Literally, just some dude, man, what is going on with my computer? Sorry. Just some dude. Not even it's not like he has a lot of subscribers or anything. Some random dude said that George Floyd didn't exist and that COVID didn't exist. Yeah, okay, that's false. But he's a random dude on Twitter, and you're devoting like it was one of these four stories in my fact check. They're devoting time to it. Anyway, I just I think this was funny. I got a kick out of the propaganda section on Google News. You too can go. Check out your Google News. See if you have a propaganda section. Maybe only the cool kids have it. Oh, hey, we got a a super chat, which I will put up if I can find the button. Judge Lott. Hey, Judge Lott. Uh, Judge says, being from Louisiana, I recently learned from Jill Biden that we Cajuns are as diverse as the swamps in which we live. (laughs) Well, at least you're not tacos. Or are you? What's the? Is there a Cajun version of a taco? Crawdads. You're as diverse as the crayfish. All right. <laughs> oh, thank you. B. Allen corrects Judge Lat. That's Doctor Jill to you, Judge. Misogynist. It's Doctor Jill. Anyway. All right. Let's let's get into um. Let's get into the allure of of Klaus Schwab. It's hard to say that with a straight face, but I I actually do mean it. Um, And I'm I'm not sure how you guys, the unsafe space community generally, is going to take what I'm going to say. Because there's nuance in it. And often, people hate nuance because it interferes with their emotional responses. And they just want to, like, you know, have an emotional blah, right? Um, But there's going to be some nuance here. I think you guys will be fine, though. I trust you. Uh, and also, hell, I could be wrong about something, especially for this show. I mean, I always like it when people jump in and, you know, say you got this wrong or what about this argument. Like, that's that's helpful uh, because I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying – or I'm not trying to be – yeah, I guess I'm trying to find the truth, not be right in the moment. I mean, I think I'm right. That's why I'm speaking. But uh, the goal is always to find the truth. So – Uh, that's what it means to be married to reason and not the conclusion. So anyway, feel free to jump in and argue with me. If you, for example, love his attire, which I think makes him look like a Romulan, you know, make your case. Okay. Klaus Schwab. Now, the reason I want to talk about him, he's, he was trending. I saw him, I think yesterday he was trending on Twitter. Uh, and for a good reason, I think he was hate trending. I couldn't exactly be sure, but he was in the news. People were pissed about him. If he, if he's trending at all, it should be hate trending. So good. Um, uh, and for those of you who don't know who Klaus Schwab is, he's the founder and chair of the World Economic Forum. They're the people behind Davos. Um, maybe, maybe enough said <laughs> they're they're the people behind Davos. That's who that is. Uh, and look, when I when I look at Klaus Schwab, all right, there he is. There's his outfit. Right. When I look at Klaus Schwab, I personally, personally, I see this, (laughs) right? I see a lizard person. I mean, that's basically what I see. Who who wouldn't? If you know anything about what WF does and what he does. So that's, that's what I see. I'm just letting my bias out here. Um, this guy is the self-appointed member of a new nobility class, right? He's, he's the leader of a, a group of ambitious technocrats. They have a dystopian vision for reorganizing society. They have absolutely no regard for how many individuals uh, they might need to crush in order to implement their vision. He is an enemy. You know, we talk about the enlightenment and enlightenment values. He is an enemy of individual rights through and through. Um, and I think he's an enemy of humanity. I mean, if you're an enemy of individual rights, I think ultimately you are philosophically an enemy of humanity. In the same way that some of the worst tyrants were Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Pol Pot. Obviously, he hasn't murdered millions of people directly, but these are all people that were devoted to grand schemes. They justified their grand schemes by constant appeals to the public good. But when it came down to actual members of the public, the only feeling they could muster was contempt. They didn't care how many people they bulldozed. And, uh, I think he's the same way. He just doesn't happen to be running a military superpower. Uh, So I got, I got no love for the man. I have no appreciation for the global redesign project, which is his, it's a, it's kind of an inhumane mission to destroy the progress of the enlightenment and replace uh, the political and social systems we have now with this tripartite aristocracy of multinational corporations, uh, government bureaucrats and woke civil society organizations like that's the plan he wants like the three of them it's kind of like a religion it's the th- you know the three in one the the <laughs> this is the these are the three parts of the god of the state the multinational corporations Government bureaucrats and woke civil society organizations, and they should rule them all. This is this is you know, if the swamp has a mascot, it's Klaus Schwab. I mean, he wrote this. He writes this kind of thing, right? Okay. Uh, and I know a lot of you probably have a similar reaction to him. So this, you know, I don't think we are in disagreement yet, if we're going to be at all. Uh, so so that's that's Klaus Schwab. And even if you don't have this reaction to him personally, he's a proxy for the World Economic Forum. So he's a good lightning rod to just, you know, he's the guy he represents all that and everything they stand for. Um, and they do, you know, I showed you this book. This is COVID-19, The Great Reset. I mean, they have, there's an overt <laughs> explicit, this isn't a conspiracy. There's explicit attempts to use, to exploit crises like covid or manufacturing crises, uh, climate change, any other crisis, whether it's real, manufactured, whatever. There's there's this over-plan to exploit these crises to force their vile version of global serfdom on all of us, right? And, of course, they dress this vision up carefully in, in nice, nicer-sounding language, like stakeholder capitalism and the social economy. Who could be against the social economy? That sounds lovely. Um, so, uh, but... So that, that's all my disclaimer. I don't want people to be like, you love Klaus Schwab because of what I'm about to say. There's something about Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum that's worth noting, and that is that not everyone reacts the same way that I just reacted and that many of you probably react. And I don't just mean progressives who understand and embrace his collectivist tyranny plan, right? I don't mean those people. I, I Not people who've like read this book and are like, yeah, F capitalism. I don't mean that. I mean, normies, smart normies sometimes. um, They, there are many of them out there who dismiss the concerns that we've talked about on this show and other people have discussed. Uh, we had a, we used to have a show called the great reset that talked about this kind of stuff all the time with Ian K who's now on has his channel comics division. If you want to, Go check him out. I don't know if he still talks about this or not. But uh, people dismiss these kind of concerns. Even though the plans are out there, they're open, they're documented, you can go read them. There's no, this isn't like we think they're up to this. This is like they're saying they're up to this, right? They think, a lot of normies just think that this guy and his ilk, they're just, you know, they're trying to make the world a better place. Maybe, you know, maybe there's some criticisms of them, the way they're doing it. But they think that they make some good points. They're kind of bought in generally to the problems that, that these people are addressing. They think the World Economic Forum is talking about real problems. These are real problems that uh, average people are often concerned about. And so there's some uh, level of respect. And when someone like me says he's a lizard person and he's horrible, they immediately shut down. I'm like, you're just a crazy conspiracy theorist. He's not. I mean, how could you say that? He's, he's addressing these problems that matter to me. There is an appeal. They have an appeal, and I know that might seem strange to a lot of you. Thank God, because if that did not sound strange to many of you, I don't know who you are. So, <laughs> of course, it sounds strange to a lot of people. But uh, at least in this audience, but you got to recognize that is that this is how he's succeeding. A lot of people don't think that he's the Antichrist. Okay, and an analogy uh, um, I'll use. And um, maybe this only works for me, but maybe this will help you understand how some people uh, don't have this visceral negative reaction to to him and the World Economic Forum and Davos. Even um, you probably know people who voted for Obama. Maybe some of you voted for Obama. Shame on you. Um, a lot of the people who voted for Obama who now you know realize. Uh, they thought he was a decent fellow, right? They they thought, well, he's just looking to do good. He cares. He's a passionate speaker, uses a lot of feel-good language. Um, we got on Monday on Narrative Dissonance. Adam Coleman mentioned that uh, that he he spoke like a Southern Baptist preacher. He had great oratory skills. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe people didn't agree with everything that he said, you know. After all, there were drone strike Tuesdays, and he did make a giant step towards the nationalization of healthcare. But he meant well, and he was quote likable, and he had some good points, and like mm, felt like he was on their side generally. And they like they liked him, and they voted for him. And I think a lot of people feel similarly about Klaus Schwab. Maybe not him directly. He doesn't appear as likable, especially given his choice of attire. Uh, but uh, they think he's doing good work, or his organization is doing good work, or trying. And, and like I said, this can be smart people. I a couple of years ago, I think a lot of you know this about me, but not everyone. I spent a lot of time, I spent a large, well, I spent several years advising early stage founders. I really like early stage founders generally. Um, it's a love-hate relationship. I also hate them. Uh, but <laughs> I really have a lot of respect often for early stage founders. I like... Um, I liked helping them out. Uh, I was an early stage investor for a little while. I liked advising them. And so I've advised hundreds, at least hundreds. I don't think it's in the thousand, but I've advised a lot of companies, uh, early stage founders. And, um, a couple of years ago I was talking to, and, and I've, I'm, I don't really do that anymore. I'm, I'm on a few boards, but I don't, I'm not active at all. I don't go out and do that. Um, a couple of years ago, I was talking to a founder who's she's, she was, she's smart. She's hardworking. She's one of these founders who, you know, like many founders hit a lot of roadblocks and figured a way out. And, you know, I'll use the cliche phrase pivoted, but you know, made changes and, and tried to keep going and, and really put effort into it. Um, and, um, I, for some reason we got talking about unsafe space. Cause she wanted to know what I was up to. And, and, uh, I had been talking at the time. I don't even remember what I had been talking about, but I had, I guess I had a show about the world economic forum and I mentioned it to her and she said, Oh, she, she, she like lit up like this was good. Oh, I'm a member of blah, blah, blah. She was a member of some, I don't know what it was. I don't know. I could look it up, but it was some world economic forum sponsored, like young entrepreneur thing, like some, you know, feeder organization into, the power structure of world economic forum, all under the guise of like doing good and helping and helping, you know, I, I don't know what it was, but it was all, you know, feel good stuff. And she was part of this and she was very excited about it. And, and I, I remember saying, yeah, that's you and I will disagree about the world economic forum. I hate them. And I remember she was like totally shocked in retrospect. I don't know if we've spoken since then, but whatever. Um, uh, you know, that this isn't a dumb person, is my point. Um, and and not an over like progressive who's like, I, I want to destroy capitalism. This is a uh a young woman who was trying to build a company, you know, uh, was not he was not one of these people trying to build a company that's like, I don't care about the money or profit, I just want to do good. Like, no, she's trying to build a real company, uh. And, and yet she, but she viewed the world economic forum as this kind of think tank positive force in the world where, uh, and I guess maybe they were helping her out in some way. So, um, <laughs> someone in chat said, sounds like a similar structure to Scientology. I don't think she had to take the, the, the test where you hold the wires. Uh, but I don't know. Um, You know, I never thought about what a thetan looked like, but maybe, maybe it looks like Klaus Schwab. Anyway, I think we should understand why uh, people like this founder, uh, I don't want to name her, but uh, why people like her uh, have like warm, fuzzy feelings about this, why they don't react the same way that many of us do. and obviously the, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is just basic strategy, right? With Sun Tzu's uh, famous, you know, n- know your enemy and know yourself in a hundred battles, you'll never be in peril or something, right? Uh, so we have to know our enemy. Um, And if we understand what he's appealing to, maybe we can make it less appealing. Maybe we can provide more appealing options. It's good to understand. But also, uh, and I say we, I mean, individualists, like people who are kind of on board with the mission of this show and this this channel generally, Um, I think we run the risk of sounding like crazy people and being dismissed. If all we have to say is he's a lizard person, he wants to take over the world. That may be true. Um, that may be true, but something he's doing is and the world economic forum is doing is resonating with people. Um, and I think there's many liberty minded people fall into this kind of trap where they They lose the ability to have nuance and to pick out the part that's bad. Um, And they just say like over the top things that turn people off. And so we've talked about before, like there's this, let's, let's imagine, let's put everything on a scale of like individualism on one end and authoritarianism on the other end. Right. Um, And all authoritarianism, progressivism is authoritarianism, monarchism, and then individualism is on the other side. Right. The trap is they, they conflate, Anything that the progressives and authoritarians do with anti-individualism, right? Including any tools that they're using or any problems that the progressives try to address. Now, obviously, most of what the progressives and authority, I'm using, by the way, I'm, I'm going to use progressive and authoritarian interchangeably because I believe they are the same thing. Uh, I've explained, I think, a little bit before, and maybe I'll explain a little bit later, but I, I want to get in that mindset. They're the same thing, Um, but obviously much of what they do is anti-individualism. And that's the point. But conflating all the tools they use or the problems they're addressing um, or the, the concerns they raise, conflating those with the their ethical failures of anti-individualism is kind of similar to blaming guns for violent crime. Guns are often involved, but they aren't the fundamental problem. The people are, right? So similarly – The tools or problems that they may talk about. They may often be involved in this anti-individualist battle, but they're not the problem fundamentally. So an example would be, let's say the progressives mandate little cameras to watch you while you drive, okay? They pay attention to how often your eyes are on the road, whether both hands are on the wheel, how fast you drive, uh, all sorts of intrusive stuff that would make me barf. Um, and, of course, they fine or they tax you based on your behavior because that's what they do, right? The problem with that isn't the technology. Hear me out. In a free market, some people, probably not me, some people might actually like to be able to turn on some of those features, maybe when their 16-year-old is driving, right? Not everyone would want to do it. Um probably uh most people have some privacy concerns right i i would um but it's not the tech right um there could be reasons why you would you would want parts of this right um I'm trying to think if there's any other good reasons why you would want it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe your insurance company would give you a break. Actually, I think this tech. Maybe I didn't make this up. You'd probably want to be able to control whether it's on or off. Um, but I think actually maybe something like this exists because I think you can link it to some, maybe some insurance companies even lower your rates if you do this kind of thing. I don't know. I wouldn't want to do it. Some people would want to do it, right? Maybe delivery vehicle owners would want to do it or, you know, I don't know. Some people would never want to use it, but it's not the tech that's the problem, right? Um, It's the forced use of the tech. And it's the normalization of the surveillance state. That's, that's the problem, right? Um, It's not, it's not the tech as such. And, when we react to the tech as such, in that sense, we just sound like Luddites, right? Um, and there's not really a good argument why the tech in and of itself is bad. Right? It's how it's used. So uh, so that's, that's an example of how we might react to the tools. For example, problems that people uh, address, problems that the World Economic Forum talks about. Uh, they might talk about. Drug use, gun violence, economic hardships, those are real problems, right? Um it isn't that it isn't evil that authoritarians purport to care about these problems and offer solutions to them. That's not what's evil. It's the solutions that are evil. It's the anti-individualism, the anti uh, liberty, uh the pro centralized power, um, pro-administrative state. That's what makes it evil. So the evil isn't that they want you to be healthy, allegedly, which the man, it's that their solution is to treat you like a farm animal, to ban tax, regulate things that they don't think make, you know, you healthy, you can't smoke here, the owner isn't allowed to let you, right? So I want to separate like the tools they use, the problems they solve from their methods and their anti-individualist, anti-enlightenment, heinous evil strategies for for, quote, solving these problems. Um, Richard Pett says, yes, Carter, my insurance has tried to sell me on this. I told him, no, thanks. I can't believe that. I mean, you know what? I thought I made it up, but it was probably some subconscious, like I had probably heard about it and reinvented it. That happens sometimes. But I was like, this would be horrible. No one would do this. Uh, but I know some people would, and apparently some people do. So when we criticize the the lizard people, I think we need to do so... Um, uh, as honestly as possible, right? And for the right reasons, um, the right reason to criticize the the lizard people is there's there's two main reasons as far as I can see. One is their coordination with governments, right? Because that's the use of force to implement their agenda. They can have a kooky agenda, right? but it's the it's their coordination with governments, their willingness to use force to implement that agenda that makes it that makes them evil. And obviously, the other reason to criticize them is philosophically, their agenda is anti individualist, anti enlightenment. It creates this new nobility class. I mean, those are the reasons to argue with them uh, or to, to criticize them. Um, and the reason we want to be honest about this is first of all, it's the right thing to do. Uh, reactionary partisanship isn't thinking. So, uh, and, and we can all get caught up in that, right? The other side did this or this evil guy did that. And like, I'm just going to react to it. Uh, that's not thinking that's just reaction. You can, I can write a program to do that. Um, but we also lose credibility. This is, this is important. This is what I was getting to earlier. We lose credibility in the eyes of rational thinking people when we misrepresent overreact and generally appear ignorant and uninformed about the thing that we're criticizing. So this founder that I was talking to had, I said, he's a lizard person who wants to take over the world. That would have been it. Now I don't think I was very successful. Cause like I said, maybe we haven't spoken in since then, but, uh, I kind of very gently was like, well, you know, I disagree with the way they want to implement some of this stuff. And I think they misrepresent stakeholder capitalism and they misrepresent the problems. And they're kind of creating this. I got, I got into like, Oh, they're, they're creating this, this um, uh, partnership between large corporations and governments, which is very dangerous. And like, you know, kind of a little bit more gently, not he's a crazy lizard person. Um, So let's took this. This is what I wanted to, I think this is maybe where the uh, hate trending of Klaus Schwab started recently. I'm not sure. But I want to take a look at this article because uh, this article has definitely been going around. Uh, you may have seen it. And I suspect this might, might, be, might be where it's coming from. I'm not sure. All right. So I got to, because I'm old, I got a copy. A paper copy. I had to kill some trees. You always have to kill some trees. Um, Okay. Nice. I love that. I love they put ads up. Gee, what's Carter been shopping for recently? Okay. Um, The title of this article is this is from Neon Nettle. I don't know this site. I don't know if you guys know this site. Anyway, the title of the article is World Economic Forum Calls to End quote, wasteful private car ownership. Okay. Fair enough. The globalist elites say too many people own private vehicles for the planet's good. The WF argues that communal sharing of cars is the way forward to lessen global demands, blah, 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 blah. I'm actually going to skip with this article. I, maybe I shouldn't read this because I'm going to go to the source. I prefer going to sources. But it quotes some things from the source most are barely driven and universal model that will take consumers from owning to using their cars is the way forward quote the average car or van in england is driven just 4% of the time the waef paper sets out okay this is nice thank you for this article um, let's look at the paper okay here's the paper it's called three circular economy approaches to reduce demand for critical metals you see it was written on july 18th this is what the big hullabaloo is about. So let's take a look. I, I am going to read. I'm not sure this should I read. I don't know. I'll, I'll read some of it. We'll go through a little bit of it because it's not actually that weird. I mean, yeah. Okay. Now, first of all, What's worthy of criticism is obviously this is written from the perspective of a central planner. Right? Um, But that doesn't make some of this content evil as such. Okay. Here we go. It starts with, this is written by Winnie, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, How would you pronounce it? Winnie, yeah. Okay. Okay. We need a clean energy revolution and we need it now. So this is the premise. Right now. This is not an inherently authoritarian premise. Um, If you're just talking about what, you know, is good for humanity or whatever, it's not, this is not inherently authoritarian. Might be, uh, but not inherently. So that's the premise she starts with now. Incidentally, our book for August is Fossil Future by Alex Epstein, who would probably say, actually, we don't need a clean energy revolution and we don't need it now. Uh, But that's her premise. Okay, so we can disagree with her premise. But let's read on. She said, but this transition from fossil fuels to renewables will need large supplies of critical metals such as cobalt, lithium, nickel, to name a few. Shortages of these critical minerals could raise the cost of clean energy technologies. Well, that's true. That's true. that's not false. One obvious route is to mine more virgin metal, but this comes with its own costs and potentially unintended consequences. Another solution commonly discussed is to recycle more and use the materials or sort use the metals already in circulation. The complication is that we do not currently have enough metals in circulation, and even with recycling taken into consideration, mineral production is still forecasted to increase by nearly 500%. So how should we proceed? Now, again, remember, this is all under the premise that we need to do all this, but okay. But these are legitimate questions to then ask. And she writes, a full circular economy is much more than recycling. It is keeping materials at their highest value. It is time to look beyond circular materials. These three mindset changes can help reduce demand. For critical metals and she's there's here's a little you know a circular a circular economy graph here for you to look at now i want to i want to pause because she's gonna talk about these mindset shifts and it's easy to see this stuff and go oh my god this is uh they're gonna want to force all this stuff and and maybe they do want to force it so just but They're trying to restructure everything and they're anti-capitalist and blah, blah, blah. Yes, they are. That is all true. However, I've got a friend who's been in the mining industry for a while. He's an executive in the mining industry. He retired recently, but he was an exec in the mining industry for a while. Not out of any global agenda of undermining capitalism, not really out of any weird, you know, radical environmentalism his company was looking at the circular economy and thinking about as an industry are there ways that they can be more efficient um than just mining raw metal all the time and this idea of a circular economy which i'm not going to get into but it's basically uh it's it's basically a more complicated version of recycling where you can kind of reuse things or think about, uh, resources in a different way and be more efficient as an industry. And he, his company was talking to other companies about this and like that, you know, you might want to talk to your supply chain people about it and, and other people involved in your industry. Maybe there's something here. It doesn't mean it's correct. It doesn't mean it is a good idea, but there's nothing wrong with looking at taking a holistic approach to your industry and saying, Hey, is there a way that we can be more efficient? Often there's profit to be made if you figure out a way to be more efficient, right? You can lower your costs or, or maybe charge for some service or whatever. So there's nothing wrong with this idea of, hey, perhaps there are some elements of a circular economy that could be more efficient and actually better to be implementing in particular industries. Um, so here's her mindset recommendations. One, go from owning to using. We're going to have, don't worry, we'll have some problems. Go from owning to using. Be honest, she writes. You likely have at least one old mobile phone tucked in the bottom of a drawer, possibly an unused hard drive taking up space, too. You aren't alone. The average car or van in England is driven just 4% of the time. While most already have personal a personal phone, 39% of workers globally have employer-provided laptops and mobile phones. This is not at all resource efficient. And obviously, from a kind of a quote holistic way, maybe it's not. More sharing can reduce ownership of idle equipment and thus material usage. Car sharing platforms such as Get Around and Blue SG have already seized that opportunity to offer vehicles where you pay per hour used. <laughs> Uh, To enable a broader transition from ownership to usership, the way we design things and systems needs to change too. For example, car sharing is made possible by new keyless unlocking features. Similarly, user profiles that create a distinction for work and personal use on the same device is needed to reduce the number of devices per person. A design process that focuses on fulfilling the underlying need instead of designing for product purchasing is fundamental to this transition. Now, so far, none of this requires the use of force. None of this requires an attack on individualism, right? This could be an argument that you're making to the corporate IT department about how to save money on devices. Like this could be a completely free market idea that some people would embrace. Some people wouldn't. Right. Um, Cause you know, obviously there are things efficiency is not the only consideration in ownership, which this, this, viewpoint doesn't consider. But like, if someone's like, hey, you know, you've got an underwear drawer full and you're only wearing one pair right now. Why don't you share? Like, "Mm," probably a lot of people will be like, I'm not into that. Right. And a lot of people feel that way about their cars. They don't want to share their cars. But some people, especially people in the city, there's a lot of barriers to owning a car. It's clunky. And so maybe, maybe sharing a car is a better idea. They don't feel the same way about certain things. As they do others phones, I think phones is a bad example to use here because that's a very personal thing, but you know, and and they, (laughs) they become obsolete so quickly. It's useless to, to use the old stuff, but okay. So this is just perspective. She doesn't really say anything that's, I would say, philosophically problematic. I hate to use the word problematic, philosophically a problem here, philosophically evil. She doesn't get into the use of force until this last sentence in this section, right? Um, this is the mindset needed to redesign cities to reduce private vehicles and other usage. Well, obviously, designing a city is not a function that actually should exist in the world unless you own all of the city. That's that's a that's an implication that there's central planning and blah, blah, blah. So, OK, so she touches on that. There's an implication there of something nefarious. But this isn't. This isn't like a. Tweet about it and go crazy thing like, OK, fine. That's her point. It's a fine point, mostly, other than, the you know, redesigning cities. But, you know, most people believe that cities should be designed in the first place. I don't, but a lot of people do. Uh, okay. Two, enable preference for longevity. This one I actually really like. This is a great point. Anyone who's owned an appliance from, like, the 60s or 70s appreciates this next point. I think you should appreciate this next point. Who doesn't want to get the most out of everyday products like washing machines and increasingly domestic solar panels? Increasing a product's longevity can reap significant dividends. Keeping a smartphone for five years instead of three reduces the annual the phone's annual carbon footprint by 31%. Now, I don't care about that. I just don't want to have to replace my phone all the time, right? I mean, I you know, growing up, we had the exact same washing machine, I think, my entire life that I can remember. We bought a brand spanking new one, you know, 13 years ago here, you know, as an adult, I bought a brand when we bought this house and it lasted five years, maybe. Cool bells and whistles and lights and dings and different modes, piece of shit, right? They don't make them anymore like they used to, right? So I'm on board with this. Yeah, this is a great idea. She says, the trouble is product companies are incentivized to sell more, not to design for longevity. Now, you could blame, she probably blames capitalism for this because she's writing for the World Economic Forum, and she'd probably argue if you pressed her, Klaus Schwab would do a better job (laughs) forcing companies to design for longevity. But the truth is, it's not capitalism's fault. It's culture's fault. Our preference, like we are happy to keep buying. The moment we stop buying stuff and we start prioritizing durability and longevity, the market will start to provide right now. All we do is whine about it, but we still buy the shit. I went and bought another washer. Cause what the hell was I going to do? All right. While some product makers are transitioning to subscription models that reward longevity, a bigger opportunity lies with commerce platforms. Today, customers can search for products by price, brand, color, technical specifications, and increasingly sustainability claims. Durability needs to become a feature too. Yeah, sure. I would love that. I would love durability to be a feature. Didn't consumer, do they still exist? Consumer reports, didn't they used to report on that stuff? I don't know. Niche, niche e-commerce site Buy Me Once offers only products that last for life. That's not true. I looked at the site. I don't know if, if the founder is stooping someone at WEF or what, but like they sell cell phones. Cell phones don't last for life. End of story. So not obviously not all their products last for life. But I guess they are trying to prioritize durability. Their customers save both time and money, in addition to environmental benefits. However, more data and consistent durability metrics are needed before we can ease, easily compare and choose durable products. Look, if that's not forced, and that's something that someone's arguing the industry should start doing generally for consumers, I'm all on board. I don't want to buy another effing washer. I hate washing machines. I don't want to. I don't want to know about washing machines. I want to buy one and die before the machine does. Okay. Three, build pride in second life. What if something can no longer be used for the purpose it was originally sold for? When an electric vehicle battery is replaced, it may still have up to 80% capacity remaining. Already retired electric vehicle batteries have been repurposed to power streetlights and a stadium. General Motors is beginning to design batteries with the ease of transition to a second life in mind. Refurbished consumer electronics are slowly coming into fashion with startups such as Black Market and Refurbed. In the business-to-business world, increasing lifespan by remanufacturing brings the added value of reducing cost and delivery time. Remanufacturing constitutes more in-depth work that restores used equipment to its original performance level. For large-scale investments, such as wind turbines, it can almost double the return of the original investment by extending the turbine life up to 20 years. If that's true, the free market would take care of it. I mean, maybe not for wind turbines, because they don't have much to do with the free market. But, you know, great. So she says, introducing more of these circular models requires significant effort and changes to our current way of life. That may be, but change doesn't necessarily be bad. And if you could convince people to start doing this, some of this sounds fine. Yet, unless we can reduce metal, oh, here, I'll scroll for you. Yet, unless we can reduce metal demand quickly, we will need more new mines. Mining has been called the blind spot of the green energy transition. On land, it has been associated with biodiversity loss, overuse of water resources, tailing, tailings waste, labor, and geopolitical issues. Interest is emerging to get these minerals from the deep sea, but it's not without other environmental, environmental risks. If mining begins there, species not yet discovered by science could go extinct. Over 100 organizations and more than 600 esper, experts are cautioning against doing so. Okay, so the last line is uh, what advericundium quantitative. I don't care what 100 organizations, that, that doesn't make it a good argument. Um, and obviously, this is very, you know, environmentalist perspective here fine um much of the debate around opening new mines is shaped around supply and demand a 2022 world economic forum white paper identified the question quote do we need these minerals now i don't like the word we here but okay do we need these minerals as one of the knowledge gaps that need to be filled before a decision could be made on deep sea mineral stewardship this transition to a fully circular model is now more urgent than ever. Okay, so that's some crisis. Hey, there's a crisis. They do that a lot. If we are to move forward, we need to reconsider at a systemic level how much we use as well as how we can reduce usage. Unless we can dramatically reduce current metal usage, the debate intention on finding new mines will not go away. Well, that's true. So my point here, I know it's, I know that's a lot. I know that's a lot. So my point here is this: first, the first part of this article, this original article we were talking about, uh, this article that's, I guess, got Schwab trending, World Economic Forum called to end wasteful private car ownership. It bitches about this World Economic Forum report, but it's honestly, I think it's dishonest. It's, it's like alarmist. Oh my God, they want to get rid of cars. Look, we've all seen the commercials you'll own nothing and be happy. We hate the commercials, we know it's for stakeholder capitalism, we know they're trying like we know the agenda. That's all bad. But this paper really wasn't that bad. This is this is not the thing to complain about with the World Economic Forum, all right? They've done a lot worse. <laughs> like uh, I like I said, I did a recent video on the social economy. They have a whole, you know, You will eat the bugs campaign uh their agenda as i mentioned is pure evil so there's a lot to bitch about uh with respect to the world economic forum but uh getting your panties in a twist about a relatively benign article advocating for a circular economy kind of undermines your credibility when you're criticizing them so i i wouldn't like this is i wouldn't lead with it with klaus schwab oh my god look at this paper on pure economy Like so what that's not the problem he's got problems world economic formats problems. they're horrible but not because not because some writer talks about more efficient <laughs> recycling and problems with with heavy metals or, or metals generally that's all true not because they suggest hey maybe some people want to share some stuff like yeah maybe they do the free market might like some of this stuff i wouldn't want to share a car I don't like living in the city. There's lots. I'm unique. Maybe some people in chat are like me. Maybe some people in chat are like, yeah, I don't care. I'd share a car. Okay, fine. Maybe it's more efficient that way. You don't want to be forced to do it. And that's the problem. (laughs) Klaus Schwab's hubris is here. Hey, Klaus Schwab's hubris. He said, it's all about me. What if I told you that I'm not the spider in the middle of the web? No, I don't think you are. which kind of brings me to <laughs> it's not actually Klaus Schwab's hubris, but I wish his hubris were actually here. Um, there is something in this article to get riled up about. Well, I'm, I'm going to get riled because I think you should be riled about it. It's relevant to the situation we're in today in terms of gas prices. Um, and that is that there's another organization at work here, it's not just all about the World Economic Forum. Now, granted, this other organization is probably influenced by the World Economic Forum, as are most major governments. Uh, Schwab is popular with the lizard people, after all. Um, but this, what we're going to talk about is an example of something that I actually think is is much worse. And there, the re, there's a reason for this. Um, This organization is not a bunch of wannabe tyrants who are trying to convince people uh may convince other people of their grand schemes by writing books and holding conferences. But this is an organization of tyrants who already have power. This is this is your your nobility class. These are the administrators that the, the modern nobility class is is Administrators. They're nameless administrators that you haven't heard of. That's who they are. Uh here's here's one. Just, you know, do you guys know who Mary Burse Warlick is? She's the deputy executive director of the International Energy Agency. You might not even know what the International Agency Energy Agency is, right? So, um, the second half of this article talks about a report from the International Energy Agency from March. And to me, this is where there's more reason to be upset. Um first of all, I had to look this up I didn't know. The International Energy Agency is an intergovernmental organization within the OECD framework. They like so the bureaucrats like layers, right? So there's always like this layer of government and then this layer of government and that no oh, let's add one on top they like layers so uh much like lizards who burrow into the mud and they like layers of sediment administrators like layers of government okay so the oecd is the organization for economic cooperation and development it itself is an intergovernment organization it has 38 member countries. It was founded in 1961 to stimulate economic progress and world trade. What a vague so vague. Okay. The members are, you know, the first world people you'd expect. UK, US, Australia, New Zealand, blah blah blah. It was formed that, so so this uh, OECD in 1974 formed a subgroup or whatever. And they have an agreement on international energy program, which created this, 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 uh, international energy agency. Um, and they gave it a mandate. Uh, IE, IEA members share the clean energy, sorry, share the collective goal of ensuring a reliable, affordable, and clean energy supply. That's their goal. Uh, To this end, the IEP agreement requires requires members to stockhold oil and create energy demand restraint policies, which allow members to effectively respond to major oil supply disruptions. And they have to share data with each other. So this is an administrative, this is one of the This is one of the nexus, nexes. This is a nexus of it, the administrative tyranny, right? Um, there's lots of different layers of technocrats uh, manipulating markets. Um, and whenever a government is involved, the market manipulation is by definition the use of force. Um, Hold on, let me do the super chat and, and get to it because I don't wanna I don't wanna lose it. Justifiably Stupid says I haven't read the WEF books, but my impression is that free markets restrict complexity to the understanding of the average consumer. Technocracy creates thresholds where all complexity is delegated to the engineering class. I would say the technocrat class, but yes, that's the um that's the justification, right? Um, they basically, it's the free market can't figure it out. Uh, it's progressives. It's progressivism. We need an administrative state to manage this. Okay. So, uh, this IEA is an administrative tyranny body. Um, and just to be clear, for those of you who don't know, oil is not a free market. Um, you could almost describe oil as kind of a fascist cartel. Uh, like there's a few major companies and governments actually producing oil in the Middle East, right? There's a few major companies and massive government involvement and control that kind of control the, they, they control the oil market, right? So it's a, it has nothing to do with the free market. It's highly, highly manipulated, right? Uh, yeah, I didn't, Greg DeBarre says OPEC. I'm not even talking about OPEC. This is like the West's, like, answer to OPEC, I guess, right? G-Man says, is there anything for your market? Some things more than others, G-Man. Uh, now, now, this article is referencing my report, and this report uh, that it's referencing by the IEA is actually much more disturbing to me because it's less about convincing us of problems like, hey, we should. Here's a here's an idea for a circular economy. There's a problem. Blah, blah, blah. It's less about that, and it's more about here's a particular solution, and it just so happens that this solution involves massive expansion of the administrative state and the use of force. Hey, who'd have thought? That's that's the conclusion they came to. Let's uh, let's take a look at this report. Um, let's see. There's there's our friend Mary. Okay, here's the report that's being talked about. A ten point plan to cut oil use. I downloaded it again because I'm an old man. I need, need to have paper. So I downloaded, I read the report. It's not that long. Uh, a 10 point plan to cut oil use. And in the report, there is, where is it? Is it here? Let's see. Yep. There is this little, here's the 10 point. Here's a summary. They got a little summary graphic of their 10 points. Uh, but let's go over this plan let's go over this plan and then actually I'll pull this off the screen. We'll go over the plan and I'll leave it up because we'll go through the points. I don't want to belabor this. So the plan, here's a summary of this plan. Um, Point one is blame Russia. Uh, As you do, it starts with, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has thrown global commodity markets into turmoil. The global oil market, in which Russia is a major force, is one of the most heavily affected. Russia is the world's third largest oil producer and the largest oil exploiter. exploiter exporter. I can't even speak today. Exporter. Okay. Now, okay, we can blame Russia, even though there's only really two possibilities for this war in Ukraine. Um, either it was caused by a similar cabal of government bureaucrats and, you know, posturing with the UN and uh, with NATO and blah, blah. Either it was caused directly or uh they failed to prevent it. They're so bad at diplo- diplomacy that here we are in war. So these are... These are the people that got us into war. I mean, not these particular people, but the IEA didn't do it, but they're representing uh, the administrative state, which is all one. This is the thing about it. It's so big and vast and amorphous that, you know, this part of the administrative state can do horrible things. And these guys can be like, it wasn't me, right? The whole thing, like, they got us into, they got this war, like, either they failed at diplomacy or they caused it. And I guess only Hunter Biden's laptop knows, but. There is some culpability from the administrative state, but well, we just skip over that. They don't, they don't mention that. It's not their thing. They're the IEA. They have nothing to do with other administrators. So anyway, um, but they say, hey, you look, we're. I know our buddies caused this, which we, which we'll ignore. But uh, we can fix it. Okay, so how do they want to fix it? Well, uh, economic manipulation. That's their answer. course because that's (laughs) all administrators all technocrats all administrative tyrants that's their answer hey let's manipulate the markets now as i said before economic manipulation is the initiation of the use of force it just is um it's good to remember that. It's good to remember that, that governments have no power except the power to use force. That's all they got. That's what makes them governments and not, you know, Microsoft. Old school reference, kids, look it up. When governments manipulate economies, there's basically three buckets. There's three kind of, uh, maybe there's more, but there's three main categories of things they can do. Uh, They can have like taxes and restrictions and regulations, right? They can steal or restrain you in some way. Well, that requires guns, right? They have to force you because you can't just like, if you just never paid your taxes and they just never sent anyone to your door to arrest you and then nothing mattered, you know, like, oh, you wouldn't pay your taxes. Right? like so force so that 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 involves force subs they can subsidize things they like to use the word incentive because it sounds like i don't know they're your parent here's a cheerio if you do the right thing right like they can incentivize things but of course that's paid with someone else's money which is obtained by force the three ways we've talked about this before the three ways governments can get money are they can tax force they can print which dilutes everyone uh, so it hurts actually the poorest, uh, in society, but they love to print. That's good. Or they can borrow, which is enslaving your kids to pay it back. It's a borrowing. Like when you borrow money from China, for example, or Japan or anyone else that lends us money, you, you realize that's a promise. That's, that's the U S government saying, <laughs> oh, here, I'll pick on someone in chat. Uh, we'll pick on Greg the baritone cause he's often around. When they borrow money from China, they're saying, oh, Greg the Baritone's grandkids will pay it back plus interest. That's what they're doing. That's 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 what borrowing is uh, when governments do it. So they can do that. They can do taxes, you know, restrictions, taxes. They can do subsidies, but that money has to come from somewhere. Or they can, in the case of oil, they can buy it and stockpile it. Again, with someone else's money, which comes from one of the three uh, means that we just covered and often then maybe they dump this stuff on the market. So the IEA thinks, so it's it's fundamentally different than this paper by, I don't know, Winnie, yeah. It's fundamentally different. Winnie's kind of a wonkish person. She, you know, figures governments should have some role in some of this stuff bought into the climate agenda. But the IEA thinks in terms of the use of force because that's the only power they have. They're government representatives. They represent governments. That's all they got. No one would listen to them if it wasn't for their guns. Like right? that's how you can tell, right? That's how you when people sometimes push back and like the government does more than force, blah, 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 really? Would you obey? Would anyone listen to anything they said if they couldn't shoot you or throw you in jail? No. That's it then. That's their power, right? Would you still buy an iPhone if Apple couldn't shoot you? Yeah. I mean, if you buy iPhones to start with, like, yeah, because you want it. Okay, so here's their economic manipulation strategy outlined in this, this paper. Uh, first, they can increase the supply of oil. They did economics 101. So that's, they know that there's supply and demand, so good for them. Uh, they could increase the supply of oil. And, of course, uh, actually in here, <laughs> it's like – well, first we actually need to admit that we're <coughs> we're banning Russian imports of oil. So that's really what's causing the problem. This is kind of a manufactured crisis, after all. And then they do a Jedi mind trick. This is not the cause you're looking for. Ooh, forget that. It's Russia. Okay, So they they kind of admit, like, oh, we're banning. It's it's not really Russia. We're just we're banning two point five million barrels. We're, it's we're doing it okay so they do the jedi mind trick we'll pretend it's just russia has nothing to do with you banning oil so they they create the problem hey we're we're to to ink so what we're going to do is we're going to ban oil from russia and now we have a supply problem who would have thought so what they're going to do their big plan here hey we can dump our oil reserves on the market because that will last forever that's a great idea and it won't be disruptive in any way so Here's a quote, IEA member countries, as part of their collective response, unanimously agreed this month to draw on emergency stocks for initial release of 62.7 million barrels, the largest stock release in IEA history. Thanks for using your guns to steal money from people, buy oil, and then dump it on the market later after you ban imports from Russia. Uh, it's a good thing Russia, by the way, invaded Ukraine because now... They can manufacture an oil crisis and the IEA can feel so important. Look, it's the biggest thing they've done in in their history. They get to dump oil on the market. This must be like, this is so exciting for them. So that's how they're going to uh, increase the supply of oil. And then they're going to decrease the demand for oil. This is the fun part. Let's decrease the demand for oil. And this uh, this is not like, hey, here are some ideas for making things more efficient and, you know, Let's convince people of these great great ideas. Um, so this kind of starts out with, uh, well, there's this aside, which I really appreciate, um, which basically goes, here, where is it? Page, here it is. It basically goes, by the way, wasn't COVID cool, right? It's, looking further ahead, they say, because why not? I mean, we're dealing with this crisis, but really, we have an agenda. Looking forward ahead, this report also suggests a path for countries to put oil demand into structural decline. Oh, Okay, in the medium term, building on measures already included in economic recovery packages introduced to deal with the impacts of COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> Adopting the immediate and longer term recommendations will put the countries on track for a decline in oil demand consistent with what is required to match net zero emissions by 2050. Never happened, by the way, mark my words. Uh, if there are net zero emissions by 2050, there will be mass death. Okay, so... Hey, they're like, "Hey, wasn't COVID cool?" Um, we could do that. By the way, speaking of uh, manufactured crisis or capitalizing on crises. Hold on. I have a I know I'm all over the place today, but I love this. <laughs> I love this tweet. I think it's real. <laughs> this is uh I've been here. You've all been hearing a lot about climate lately, right? It's a, it's a crisis. <laughs> Look at this. This is these are temperatures. This is uh on. This is from twenty seventeen. This is June twenty first, twenty seventeen. On the top, the top picture here. I'm gonna explain this for people who are only listening. So this is a weather. This is a, a screenshot of a new a weather reporter on the news, and she's standing in front of Europe. What is that? France? I can't. No, wait. It's like uh. Wait, is that the UK over there? Anyway, she's standing over here in kind of uh, Eastern Europe, I guess, and um, she's there's there's in the 2017 June 21st 2017 picture. It's all green, like the whole map is green, and there the temperatures are like 20. These are all Celsius: 20, 26, 30, 33, 34, 32, 36, 37, 35, 34. Blah blah blah. Okay, they range from 20 to 37. It looks like, and here here on. Uh, here she is. I guess it's the same lady. I don't know. Uh this year, 2022, same day, June 21st. Um same map except for now the map is all red. Now I don't know, maybe this is a screenshot of like they were transitioning to doppler radar and they're showing wind patterns, but it looks awfully a lot like they're trying to show a heat map here. So now the map's like all red. It looks much more scary. Um hey, oh my god, there's a climate crisis. But of course, If you look at the temperatures, 20, 22, 22, 24, 23, 24, 28, 32, like the temperatures are actually low, 19, the temperatures are lower. I just, I love when, I love when you see the propaganda, obviously. Anyway, uh, so here's their 10 point plan. Sorry, I get, I'm getting, I'm in a mood today. Uh, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting off track. (laughs) <laughs> Beverly says, "Is Carter incentivizing his children with Cheerios?" Yeah, you know, it doesn't work on the thirteen-year-old anymore. Okay, so here's the ten-point plan. Oh, let's put up. Uh, let's put it up while we talk about it. We had that little graphic. Here we go. They kind of, it weaves around like one, two, three, goes this way, two, two, five. Seven. Okay. So let's go through this 10-point plan. Point. Um, now, be, uh, before we start, they do they do encourage some skeptics here in their report in case you're not sure that pointing guns at people works. They say, hey, government regulations and mandates have proven to be very effective for successfully implementing these measures in various countries and cities. Don't worry, pointing guns at people has been proven to work. It certainly does in the short term. Uh, someday they're going to point them back. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so let's go through this 10-point plan. All right, number one. So th- these are this is how they recommend reducing demand. This is your administrative tyranny at work. One, reduce speed limits on highways by at least 10 kilometers per hour. Well, obviously, uh mm-hmm. that requires the initiation of these force. Ra- I mean, I mean, kind of. Uh, we can get into highways and stuff later, but okay. Government involvement, government is fundamentally force, fine. So that's none of these are like. <laughs> None of these, basically, none of these are ideas that they intend to really not have the government involved. In. But okay, number two, work from home for up to three possible days a week, where possible. And I thought, okay, well, this one, maybe they're just like, hey, we can encourage people. But then you, if you read, hey, <laughs> again, they love the COVID stuff. During confinement periods triggered by the pandemic, many countries implemented requirements for people to work home for activities where it's possible. Yeah let's let's require it let's lock people in their houses that's a good idea right how much do you get paid mary what is how much do you get paid deputy executive director thanks for that idea great idea we'll lock them in their house okay three car free Sundays. they don't mean ice cream Sundays. um car free Sundays. hey we could ban the use of private cars on sundays plus it helps public health that's what it says right here so that's good um also in case you're Needing remedial help. That's the initiation of these force uh, Four, make public transportation cheaper, incentivize micro mobility, walking and cycling. By the way, I don't how do you incentivize walking if you're also and never mind incentivizing being fat, which is a separate issue. OK, uh, so that this one I thought, well, I. Uh, It wouldn't really be, I mean, you could just incentivize this stuff through talking about it, but what they mean here is the use of force because they want to make quote investments in all this stuff, which means they take money in one form from some people and give it to other people. That's what investment means. It doesn't mean the way you invest. Investment means, uh, what wasting money you stole. I don't know what a good. That's what it means when the government talks about it. Okay, so that's their other idea. Number five. Alternate private car use in large cities. What they they don't mean like. Suggest it. Hey, let's do a license plate lottery and like even numbers on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, you know, odd numbers Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Saturday. No one can drive on Sunday anyway. Woohoo! Uh, obviously, that's force. Um. They do admit it kind of is a regressive thing to do. Uh, households that own multiple cars may be able to circumvent the restrictions. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, there'll be a black market for license plates of different ending in <laughs> different digits. Uh, okay, number, where was that? That was number five. Number six, urge car sharing and practices that decrease fuel usage. They So they don't mean urge. I Like, man, the words they use. It's like they would use the word woo when they mean rape. That's what these people were urge car sharing and practices. Uh yeah, okay. I mean, this is where they suggest monitoring tire pressure, uh, air conditioning usage. By urge, they mean uh big brother, your the uh, big brother, your ass. Um, okay, and 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 uh yeah, basically big brother your ass. Okay. Number seven, promote efficient use of freight trucks and goods delivery promote there's that word again it, it, we're just promoting oh um if you don't do what we say we're going to uh tax you and if you don't pay we'll throw you in jail but it's just a promotion though uh it's the kind of promotion McDonald's does except it involves guns um let's say yeah they say uh they can lower the demand oh they're going to lower the demand for short term deliveries that's good Uh, And they can force truck manufacturers to have – they can be like California everywhere. They can force different standards for cars. So that's – promotion means um, force you. Uh, Eight. Prefer – prefer – God, the language. Prefer high speed and night trains to planes where possible. Prefer it? Hey, guys, why don't you just prefer this? Um, What do you mean by prefer – Mary and others at the IEA. What do you mean, prefer it? Oh, um, we have an example of how preference works. Ready? In France, the recent climate and resilience law requires the the cancellation of flights if alternatives exist to reach the destination within two and a half hours. Oh, that's nice. Shoot that plane out of the sky. No, I don't think they do that yet. Uh, Okay, avoid business travel. The number nine, avoid business travel when alternatives exist. Uh, That sounds like a suggestion, but then in their paper, they talk about how, uh, well, hey, governments can control flight allocations. So, you know, we can get rid of planes we don't want if we don't think that they're being utilized efficiently because we would like to run the airline industry, but not actually be responsible for running the airline industry, which, by the way, that's what fascism is. Fascism is is, uh, ostensible private control and responsibility, but uh, the government basically dictates how— how you use everything and what's made. So, okay, um, and number 10, hasten. <laughs> I think of my mom when I was a kid playing soccer, telling me like standing on the sideline yet telling me to hustle. Hasten the adoption of electronic, or that's electric and more efficient vehicles. Uh, what they mean by this is um, basically two things, uh, make non-efficient stuff illegal by passing laws and uh subsidize by stealing money from you subsidize Nancy Pelosi's Tesla or whatever so that's that's the plan and uh you know i'd probably be I'm a little bit more upset about this in that article than I am about the the stupid WEF Circular economy. I mean it's not even stupid. I don't know. Maybe there's some good ideas in there. Who knows?
1: <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: Zero fucks says Carter's mom was a pimp. Shh. Uh she was an artist. What's that movie? <laughs> Idiocracy. Anyway, um, okay. So this this plan, this IEA thing, is uh, it's basically the wet dream uh, of a committee of administrative tyrants. I mean, that's what it is. It's like, how can we make these stupid people adhere to our awesome plan and strategy for the future? And they were like, I know. Let's write a paper with ten different ways to point guns at people. We'll push it out. We're just trying to help. We mean well, though. We're progressive. Progressives care. Um, so look, the IEA, let's just go over this. This is an organization. Like, as much as I hate the WEF, and again, I I do, don't worry. The IEA is an organization that sh- actually should not exist in any way. Right? Uh, this is where the reins of power are that organizations like the world economic forum seek to influence. So there will always be people. There are always going to be lizard people wearing Romulan outfits with, with horrible ideas, vile ideologies that they want to, they've got a way that, you know, they can make the world their dystopia that they want. Um, But they need to get it implemented. And if they try to get it implemented, the smart ones The effective ones are going to target areas of power, political power, right? Because political power is ultimate use of force, right? So they're going to target those. This is why the World Economic Forum targets governments and large corporations. They're trying to go after these centers of power to influence. Now, what... I think this makes it a little bit obvious why one of the problems that you have with having centralized power an administrative state with all these different like, you know, power bodies is by these people with like, hey, we have the we have the ability to manipulate the oil market. Like, that's the thing. OK, there's a whole organization for it and they can do it with guns. Right. Because, I mean, they don't have to. Most people aren't going to go against them. But at the end of the day, if they need to, they will show up at your door with guns to get their their way, right? So they're backed by the force of the state. So um, one of the problems with having this kind of centralized power, one of the problems with having this much control is any locus of power is an automatic target for people like Klaus Schwab. Right? Or anyone else in the world. It's a, it's a, it's a target for them. Now, with a corporation, if they turn an executive into an activist at a corporation, let's say they they, they convince someone that, uh, you know, the circular economy or even that, you know, eating the bugs is a good idea. Well, yeah, yeah. OK. So they they convince them that, you know, this is they, they get an activist. Right. OK. Well, um, fundamentally, without the government's involvement, which is hard nowadays because so there's, you know, they're so entangled. But without the government's involvement, fundamentally, all a corporation can do is change its product offering. Right. It can make change it for the worse, right? It can make, Oh, we're going to start doing censorship or selling bugs or pushing propaganda through our fact check section on Google, um, change our pricing, whatever. Like they, they can do all these things, but fundamentally, uh, their, their influence is limited because they can't physically force people to use their product. Right. Um, they can push, they can, you know, uh, <laughs> they can try and convince they all this kind of stuff, but they can't force, you can't, I don't have to go to Google News. In fact, I don't usually. I just happen to to go, right? They can't force me to go look at their fact check section. I just, you know, don't have to go to Google News, right? Uh, As as big and as powerful as Google is, right? But with the government, when it's the government, if someone like Klaus Schwab, if the World Economic Forum uh, turns, instead of turning a corporate exec into an activist, if they turn a bureaucrat into an activist, Well, first of all, bureaucrats, people pay less attention to bureaucrats generally, right? Um, But also, they can literally initiate the use of force on free people to get their way. That's what bureaucrats can do. They are the ultimate target. If you're trying to acquire power, you need the bureaucrats, right? And so the more the government expands... The more that there's an administrative state that manages, regulates, and controls everything, and the more it controls corporations, the more the line blurs between corporations and the government, which is bad news for people who have uh, you know, have this idea they value their individual sovereignty. So, you know, if if there weren't large bloated governments, if there weren't administrative state in the layers of this bureaucracy, Klaus Schwab would have to. Limit himself to going after, you know, the CEOs of Amazon and Netflix and Apple and, and Microsoft. And yeah, he could influence culture that way. But he couldn't really implement his plan, right? Because you need force to do it. I mean, unless we all thought the plan was awesome. I mean, if he convinces everyone that the plan is great, then, then sure, people would do it voluntarily. I remain unconvinced about his grandiose dystopia. So yeah, let's call out Klaus Schwab. Uh, let's call out his cabal of administrators, uh, his administrative tyrants, and their their wannabes, their little Eichmans for their agenda, right? But let's do it with integrity, as I talked about earlier, right? Um, let's call them out for what they deserve to be called out for, which is their anti enlightenment, anti individualist, their 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 willingness and and eagerness to 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 seize control of state power to use the the force of the state to implement a horrendous anti-freedom agenda that they deserve to be called out for not some like hey there's a circular economy might be more efficient like that's not we don't call them out for that that's i mean we shouldn't but let's also work to, to i think to dismantle those locuses of power the loci of power that the world economic forum is going after we have to dismantle the administrative state We have to remove the goal that he's trying to, 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 to obtain, right? Like there's a, there's the one ring to rule them all for the Lord of the Rings fans, right? There's the one, there's that, the administrative state is the, is the ring of power. We got to destroy it. Then it doesn't matter how much Klaus Schwab wants to do or how many outfits he wears, right? And the, the IEA is one of probably, I don't know, probably hundreds of governmental organizations that view you, as a resource of the state primarily that's primarily what you are they have absolutely no regard for your individual rights uh they are focused on their centrally planned administrative utopia um their arrogance and their elitism leads them to believe that they can solve these big problems in the name of the public good that's that's who they are uh so you know and and you know they don't want to make let individuals make their own decisions. They don't want to make let individuals voluntarily interact with one another. They They don't want a free market that's outside of their control. They are control freaks. All of these bureaucrats, all the administrators, all these technocrats, people like Mary, everyone on the IEA, all of these people. This is why Trump called it the swamp. It's a good visceral description. They don't want anything outside of their control. They are focused on building a tax farm, and they're focused on making you the livestock. So that's what I think. The you know recent news, this 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 oil stuff, and and uh, you know plans to cut oil usage and reduce demand. It's it's not the circular economy paper that's the problem, right? All right, let me look through chat for a sec. Richard Petz says the administrative state is by definition unaccountable. Yes, it is. Oh, you know what? Uh, my browser says that my chat window is not updating and it needs to be reloaded. Locusts of power says it's on. Did I say locusts? <laughs> Maybe I did. I did, probably did. Uh, I didn't mean that.
1: <laughs>
0: Loci. Locust of power is good though. Uh, it sounds like an apocalyptic movie. Locust of power. All right, let me let me reload chat. Sorry guys, I don't know what's going on. My browser. It's not. It's not a good day for my browser. All right. There we go. Oh, uh, Don says Greg said it. Oh sorry, sorry Greg. I gave Don credit for your hilarity. Uh, okay. Eh, hour and a half. I We can do this. I, I do want to talk. Okay. This is kind of a shift in the show. But you'll see how it's related. Because look, this whole thing, the reason I think this, this IEA stuff is relevant is, look, we're, we're dealing, we're still dealing with high gas prices. I know they've come down a bit, but... And we're st- we're dealing with this this Russian Ukraine thing. And I want you to see how the administrative tyrants are causing problems, blaming other people, then stepping in with solutions, screwing everything up. You know, in light of all this, just remember, in light of all this, you've got the Biden administration out there saying, damn, corporate greed is what the problem is with the oil prices. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's nowhere near a free market in oil. I have no idea what the free market price of oil would actually be. No one does. We're so far from a free market in oil. It's not even funny. It's not corporate greed. You guys banned exports from Russia. Okay. So I want to talk about cars. It's related to all this, but I ran across something that was kind of funny. Uh, Two things, actually. Um, so people like to ask libertarian. I'm a, I'm officially a libertarian now, which I know maybe I shouldn't say with too much pride. Uh, <laughs> I avoided being a libertarian for 20, I don't know, 23, 24, 25 years, uh, forever, uh, because I think they have been a joke. I like the Mises Caucus. Generally, they finally took over. So I was like, all right, I'll give them a shot. I'll join. I'm not super political uh, in terms of my, you know, I'm not a political activist generally. But a lot of people like to ask libertarians, small L or big L libertarians, questions about cars, specifically roads, right? Who will build the roads? Someone asked me that when I I went on a road trip recently, and I was like, hey, is there any topics you want me to address? I didn't take it seriously, but maybe it was a serious question. Well, while you're on the roads, why don't you talk about how you could possibly have roads in a libertarian society, right? Uh, Okay. Um. Zero fucks To be fair, Carter, of the libertarian party changed for the better recently. Uh, fingers crossed. I hope so. Yeah, that's why I finally joined. Um, okay, so I think a, a problem with with a lot of a lot of, problem a lot of people run into when they when they ask these kind of questions is um, they take the status quo as standard. They like whatever's now like that's the standard. Let's Take roads, right? Well, we have a highway system in the U.S. It was you know Eisenhower didn't build it but you know stole the money to fund it or whatever ordered it to be built by private companies. um so we built we built a highway so it's a highway system and cities build roads and states have state highways so that's the system we're in now um and 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 when someone says well how you know when how would you have roads how would you get the roads right uh <laughs> a lot of libertarians feel like they're backed into this like well How would how would we get the exact same thing that we have now, but without the government? Right. Um, And I think they get this wrong a lot because they they're assuming the status quo is the standard, like they're they're trying to answer this, like, well, how do we get to now without the government? And they're like, well, let me like (laughs) the answer is we might not to get get to where we are now without the government. It, we don't know what transportation would look like if it was left to the free market. We don't know that at all. We can't know what transportation would look like if it were a free market. You know, if someone asked you in 1970, what the what the mobile phone market would look like in the year 2022, if there, if there weren't some government department committed to developing it and deploying mobile phones, oh my God, what would the free market? You wouldn't have been able to answer. But since the government wasn't involved, we have a thriving smartphone market. That's beyond the wildest dreams of what you'd have come up with in the 70s, right? And it's mostly free. I mean, it doesn't rely on government administration. It's, it's, a, it's close to a free market. Problems with it, stuff I don't like about it, but, you know, I think if you went back to 1970 and showed someone your iPhone and how it worked, they'd be pretty fucking impressed. Here's what we know about what a free market in transportation in roads would look like cuz we don't know much. You can't you can't be like you can't prove what an alternate universe would be like. All right? So what do we know? Well, we know that some people would want to get from point A to point B. That's pretty clear. And we know that if someone does want to get from point A to point B, someone will offer them a solution to get from point A to point B. That seems to be how the market works for everything throughout all time, whether it's uh, I want illegal drugs or I uh, want, you know, cheap life insurance or whatever it is. Like no matter what people want, the market seems to be able to figure out a way because you make money figuring out a way how to solve people's problems. Getting from A to B is a pretty serious problem. So roads in some form would exist if there was adequate demand for them. And likely, by the way, the only people that would pay for the roads will be the ones that use them, not everyone, but, you know, probably. Uh, but more importantly, it's likely that without government involvement in oil and gas and roads and city planning and the air, like FAA, right, uh, money which if affects investments um the economic pressures on the entire transportation market will be completely different than they are today right and the questions that result from that difference which is vast would be well you'd have to you'd have to understand like well would there be and I don't know the answer to these no one I think can would there be increased or decreased pressure to develop electric cars for example? Would there be increased or decreased pressure to develop flying cars that are affordable? I don't know. Would air travel look the same at all? I don't know. Would there be more or less pressure to develop remote work technology sooner? I don't know. Would suburbs even look the same? I don't know. Would there be other modes of transportation available that we haven't thought of? I don't know. Probably. But the one thing that we do know for sure is in a free market, we would not be stuck in our homes with no place of getting anywhere. There would be transportation options because we can't function without getting somewhere like it would be very important to get from point A to point B. And we found a way to do it with the government. And governments tend to be pretty horrible and inefficient. So probably there'd be a better way. And two other things are very likely, given the government involvement in every other industry in history, would probably have more options today, and they would probably be cheaper. What they would look like, I don't know. Very likely they would look better. I'm gonna give you here's an here's an here's an example. I'll get an example from we talked about the 70s here. Let's let's imagine you're in. The Soviet Union in 1970. And you're waiting in line for bread. You got your little bread chit. I hope my loaf is shaped like Stalin. Right? You're in line. Starving. Uh, It's It's your bread allocation for the week or whatever. You know. Life sucks. And some asshole libertarian. Standing next to you in line. He has to whisper this because. Obviously, the KGB is lurking about. And he says, I don't think the government should be in charge of of growing and distributing food. Because cause you know he's crazy. Because you're so smart. Because the status quo is what you're used to. You scoff at him. Pfft, how can we possibly get bread? The free market could never figure that out, you fucking moron. You know how complex bread is? Jesus, I'm never voting for you, idiot. Could you leave food to the free market? You know how important it is. Of course, when the Soviet Union collapses, I don't know if this histor- his, this story is apocryphal, but I've heard it several times, and, and uh, I don't think it is. I think I think I have actually seen or like talked to people who who experienced this because um, I, I did know some people from the former, former Soviet Union um, when they come to the U.S and they go into our supermarkets, which we take for granted, they drop down on their knees and cry over the selection and abundance. It turns out the free market does a way better job than the Kremlin at distributing bread. That's how it would be with transportation. That's how it would be, but that's my answer. That's how it would be. The difference between Soviet bread lines and U.S. supermarkets is the difference between current government-built transportation and whatever the hell would have as a free market. That's the difference. If there were a parallel universe, and, and in this universe, the people were left alone. They were left free to solve the transportation problem. Government wasn't involved. And if you were suddenly whisked away and brought there to see it, you would drop down on your knees and cry at how much better it is than Eisenhower's interstate highway system. Or the pothole-ridden road that you use to go to that awesome supermarket. It's down the road. That's how transportation looks. That's what roads look like without government. It's night and day. Would they be the same? No. They would very likely not be the same. The same is not the standard. A supermarket is not the same as bread lines in the Soviet Union. G-Man says, you can't just grow bread. <laughs> it's so complex. Oh, someone says, watch the... Uh, Greg the Baritone says, watch the Milton Freeman video on making a pencil. I've heard about it. I heard it's awesome. Um, but I haven't seen it. Self-driving flying cars, says Greg the Baritone. Beverly points out there are bread trees. She's lying. Okay, um... But and by the way, this is just another thing that ran. So, so that was the the question about the roads. Another thing that ran that I ran across this week actually was, um, <laughs> man, this is why I didn't join the Libertarian Party for so long. Another bad Libertarian example with respect to the roads question. And this is really respect to driver's licenses. There's a famous clip. This is old. It's from 2018. It's Larry Elder moderating a debate between Gary Johnson and some other candidates for. President for the Libertarian Party. And uh, I just, here, we'll play it. We'll play it because I can't describe it. I can't do it justice in a description. But this is why people, I mean, no wonder the Libertarian Party is, seriously. Okay, here. Should someone have to have a government-issued license to drive a car? Hell no. What's next, requiring a license to make toast in your own damn toaster? (laughs) The license to drive you know i'd like to see some competency exhibited by people before they drive <laughs> so i'm not a big fan of gary johnson but uh <laughs> he gets booed for his answer and the toaster guy is like everyone's like woohoo toaster guy um Actually did, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I had context. I did watch the the more full clip of that. That and there was there's no context that you're missing. Like the 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 dude, I think his name is Daryl Perry. He did like escalate to the toaster example, but there's no like context here. Um there's no important context that you're missing. There's not like more nuance that you're missing. And you know, I, I saw this is the first time I saw this because I wasn't paying attention to libertarians in 2018, thank God. Uh and I thought. <laughs> No wonder people think libertarians are insane. <laughs> yes, the toaster license, that's an excellent analogy, bro. Uh And this is this is not some, I mean, it's not some random dude. He's the former chair of the New Hampshire Libertarian Party, I think. Uh he obviously sought the Libertarian Party nomination for president. Was on stage. He ran for governor of New Hampshire, I think. I think he's now like a local municipal representative. I do feel bad for Larry Elder that he had to moderate that. Um but I again I think that the one of the problems with this answer and I didn't like Gary Johnson's answer either uh so I'm going to answer it at the way I think libertarians should answer it. Um I think the status quo again here was taken as a standard to some extent which it should not have been. And in some ways this is because the question I think is just a bad hidden premise. No one called out the hidden premise in the question. So I'm going to Um liber- libertarians who answer this on principle like the toaster dude uh but do it without context, end up looking insane because dropping context is actually insane. You can't drop context. Um, context matters. You can't apply a principle out of context. You can't apply a principle without with like examining the foundations upon which that principle relies. And what's the foundation here? What is a license? What the hell is a license? A license is simply permission. From an owner, or the owner can delegate that indirectly, so it could be a manager, and a appointed steward. That's what it is. Someone owns a thing, they permit you under, with some rules, to use the thing. That's what a license is. You can't have concept of license without concept of an owner. Makes no sense. You need an owner. That's what a license is. What supposed libertarian principle is it? Tell me. If there are libertarians in chat, what principle is it that says licenses are a violation of rights? I'll wait. Because I think there's no there's no libertarian principle that says licenses are a violation of rights. They are not. The real answer to this question is the state shouldn't own the roads. They shouldn't control the roads. I can use own in quotes because I don't think the ownership is legitimate, but the states shouldn't control the roads. The problem isn't the licenses, it's the ownership. That's the problem. The answer is, well. Here's a plan for unwinding state control and management of the roads. We can start with the federal government and work our way down. like That's the answer. The answer is, well, Larry, licenses aren't the problem. The problem is government ownership of the roads, right? Government control of the roads, right? The initiation of the use of force here does not arise from the fact that the state requires a license to drive. It arises from the fact that the state, quote, owns the road, that's where it arrives. And any private owner might require a license. If I had a road, I'd require a license of some kind, right? You would too. And everyone would. Uh, maybe not the toaster dude. But the state right now is in an untenable moral position. It should not control the road morally, but it does control the road. So the principal answer is, is look, I think the principal answer is: Look, while the state is in violation of the moral principle of ownership here, they should issue licenses. They should be as cheap as possible. They should be as readily obtained as possible. We should reflect about what we think private owners might require in terms of licenses. It's kind of hard to mimic that, and mirror that. Maybe you could come up with some sort of privatization scheme. I don't know, involving I don't know insurance agencies or, or deposits or whatever involving license that make get closer to what a free market may offer, but you can't really know what a free market would offer. So the best you can do is is try and do that and do that in the background while you're actually solving the problem. And the solve, the ultimate answer is the state's got to be removed from the position that they're in. And And I think to do that, you would have to say, well, how do you unwind it? Well, you start by letting the federal government grant control back to the states. States are responsible for their roads, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Then you, then you go to the states. Hey, give it to the localities. Then you go to localities. Like you work your way down, right? Um, maybe you end up auctioning off roads or doing something like there. You know, it's hard to go from an entire system that was not free market and then slowly piece it back, you know, like bring it back into the free market. It would have been much better if it was never controlled by the government. But you can't say we shouldn't just have licenses. Is the same as a toaster a license to operate a toaster, right? And, and you also shouldn't say, well, I want there to be some safety on the roads and the government should blah, blah, blah. Like That's not the government's role either. The libertarian response is the government shouldn't own the roads. But while it does, it needs to try and let people use them for their intended purpose. And it needs to get the hell out of the business of owning the roads. That's That's what needs to happen. And also, by the way, given the the general state of the world in 2018 and everything else that was going on, what a stupid, useless question to ask in the debate. I feel sorry that Larry Elder had to read that. The question itself makes libertarians look like a joke. Uh, I hope <laughs> now that the the Mises Caucus is in charge, I hope they don't have dumbass debates like that. That is stupid. Um, I hope they can be principled, specifically the principle of individual sovereignty, and I hope that they can be smart enough to actually apply those principles without comparing driver's licenses to a license to operate your own toaster but we'll see like i said i joined we'll see you know uh i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt for now because i like their tweets and i like you know dave smith and many other people involved so all right zero fucks forgot to renew his toaster license. we well, get out there now man you know the bureau of alcohol toasters and firearms isn't that what it is because you might have – if you have an NFA toaster, you also owe the, the $200 tax. Okay. Um, thank you all. Um, looking through chat, I don't think there's anything – If is there anything I'm missing that I need to address in chat? I don't think so. Um, oh, Beverly got a concealed carry permit. You should probably keep that quiet. But, hey, you, you announced it, so whatever. Um, congratulations, Beverly. All right. Thanks everyone for watching. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed the questions as always. Uh, an enormous thank you to those of you who support unsafe space financially. You can join them if you want. at don't say space.com eventually you get their name. in The credits when I get around to doing it, I'm sorry that I'm uh, a slacker here. Uh, also shout out to Motown whose name belongs in the credits, but I haven't updated them in a while. So at least I'll give him a shout out. Uh <laughs> In addition to Dangerous Thoughts, by the way, uh, your contribution, if you choose to contribute, sports a number of different series. Uh, earlier today, we had a show called Rebel Civics, which is hosted by Keith Bissett. Uh, I think it was about Juneteenth. I think people were very, uh, I think it was controversial, <laughs> to say the least. I haven't seen it. Uh, on Tuesdays, we have 451 with Alex Maselli, which is about censorship and big tech. On Mondays, we have uh, Narrative Dissonance, which is co-hosted, uh, me and uh, Juliette Dillon, That's live on Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific. We bring a panel of journalists in to talk about the news and how we're being misled. And then on Thursdays, tomorrow evening, uh, we have Token Minority Report with Beverly and Alex as your co-host. This week, I think, is Alex's birthday bash. So, uh, go do that. Oh, and as I mentioned, book club, our next book club is August 14th. It's this book, Fossil Future, by Alex Epstein. Epstein. I'm sorry, Alex. I think it's Epstein. Um i guess that's it i'm gonna i'm gonna go to the gun range now actually is what i'm gonna do so have a good night everyone and uh i will see you on monday and beverly will see you tomorrow later thanks for sticking around until the end if you're new to unsafe space check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there.
1: Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production is known by the state of California to cause unregulated ideation that may be harmful to bureaucrats. Association with the following individuals, or TACOs, is strictly prohibited. Apropos of nothing. I was just wondering how would you feel about another pandemic? Your president is in full control of his mental faculties. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job.